0: of who's there i'm your host as always allison if you're new here thank you for joining us if you're returning thank you for coming back this is a podcast where i talk to a new horror fan every week because i hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason. And here we delve into those reasons. It's almost Christmas, it's Christmas Eve when this is going live. Horror Christmas movies have you all been watching? I've watched Better Watch Out and Wait further Instructions, both of which I enjoyed. I also watched P2 last night, which is basically a Christmas horror movie because it's about a girl who gets trapped in a parking garage in New York City on Christmas Eve. I don't think it's really realistic because there aren't parking garages that go four levels underground New York City, but put that aside, it's still really entertaining. I was really stressed out while I was watching it, so there's that. I also recently watched Die Hard for the first time, and although it's not a horror movie, I could stretch the genre a little and say that it's pretty terrifying to be held hostage in an office building, right? I think so. So I'm excited to share this interview with you lovely people this week with author and horror fan Michael Benavides. He recently released his second novel, When Angels Fail, And he was kind enough to come on the show and tell us about his inspiration for writing, trigger warning, it was a bad breakup, and how the horror genre influences his writing. He is also a writer for the publication Morbidly Beautiful, and he gets verbose about his love for Clive Barker and Mike Flanagan, something I think a lot of us can relate to. So I think that's it. Let's get into this week's episode with Michael Benavidez. Hey, Michael, how are you?
1: uh hi i'm all right I'm all right.
0: thanks for being here. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, et cetera
1: so um I'm michael benavides um currently, I'm living in Texas you know I'm mean, not kinda stuck here <laughs> for the most part. I've kind of grown up here and I've grown up in Minnesota, so you know it kind of goes back and forth and yeah, I mean, I'm pretty simple i got I love horror I got a book coming out horror horror horror, you know. <laughs>
0: Awesome. So first things first, what's your favorite scary movie?
1: Uh, Hellraiser one and two. I always come. I can't watch one without the other. It's always got to be part one and two. They they were the first legit horror movie front front and back that I've I've seen. So uh-huh. they- I I know everything from it kind of.
0: Why do you love those movies so much? I have I have the DVD of Hellraiser, but I've yet to be able to force myself to watch it because I'm afraid of like the visuals.
1: Well, the, the visuals, the, Doug Bradley kind of awoke stuff in me. And as did um, Ashley Lawrence for playing Kirstie. Um, Like they were, because there was like a gradual progression in my level of horror where the first murder scene I ever, ever saw was Nightmare on M Street 3, but only the primetime kill. So that freaked me out. And I kind of like, I don't remember watching any horror from there. And then, you know, I saw Hellraiser from the beginning. And I saw it all the way to the end. I loved it. It scared me, but I remember loving it. And then I saw part two where it was just kind of elevated part one. And ever since then, my brain can't disconnect either or. So there's just something about it that just keeps me coming back to it with my love for the original and that sequel that just really ramps up what a sequel ought to do
0: that's awesome i've never heard anyone speak so passionately about a sequel So that's good to know that the sequel is very good too
1: i, I don't speak highly of many sequels but that one that one i will stand by <laughs> that one answers three, but that's a different
0: <laughs> <laughs> so did you first fall in love with the genre from uh, nightmare on elm street Um,
1: Well, my mom tells a story about how when I was a baby, um, I would be, I would have been two at the time because I've done the math. Um, I would hear the intro theme song to, I would hear Danny Elfman's intro theme song to Tales from the Crypt. And I would wake up and I would run to watch that beginning intro where they're going through the house and the Crypt Keeper pops up. I have no memory of it, but I do remember loving Tales from the Crypt when I would like, I would catch it on reruns. So I I guess from a kid I've loved it and you know from there it's just kind of been a gradual um, mode of catching up on all the horror you know the 2000s horror the 90s horror that like I grew up with plus the older stuff it's always yeah. been present <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah I remember watching uh, Tales from the Crypt growing up too so that was that was great that was one of my first uh, that was like my first gateway into horror
1: and it, I like it cuz it's one of those like B movie just like you, you, you have memories of it, and it's worse than it is. And then you watch, it and it's like, oh, puns, horrible, <laughs> horrible puns. But it's delightful.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Um, HBO is bringing it back soon.
1: I thought I, I heard heard that with a for a while, like with the Night Shyamalan or something. And then I kind of stopped hearing about it. But if they bring it back, I hope, I hope they do it justice, because I would really love to just kind of binge at that again.
0: Definitely. Did you grow up in the
1: '90s? Um yeah, I'm born '92, which I think is the year like season one or season two had come out of Tales from the Crypt. I don't remember exactly. Okay, um, so yeah.
0: So do you did you watch Are You Afraid of the Dark growing up?
1: No, I was goosebumps. So I do not have any memory of that show, and everyone brings it up, and I'm always paid off like, yeah, I know what that is, and I have. No recollections whatsoever about that. I, I was just pure Goosebumps kid. Ah, cool. Does it hold up better than Goosebumps?
0: I think it's still pretty creepy. Uh, I, I, w- I, I rewatched a lot of them when I first bought it a couple of years ago on Black Friday.
1: So I, I, I live with my cousins, so uh, hopefully I'll, I'll tag them along with me. That way it's not just a grown man watching... Are you afraid of the dark by himself?
0: <laughs> no, no shame there. Um, I know, I know people that are older than you that love watching it still. I was Goosebumps a TV show too.
1: Yeah, it, oh. th- that's where I know it from. And then I have memories of the books. Like I was um, from the beginning, I was always a book collector, and that's where my first actual delving into horror came from was the Goosebumps books. I think I had the entire original series minus like three or four books. Oh wow. And then water damage got them and they're no longer around.
0: <laughs> oh do you ever try to look for like secondhand copies?
1: Well all those were secondhand copies. Um, now I'm doing the same thing but with Stephen King and like Clive Barker. So ah. I've, I have upped my game to the thicker books and just a huge collection in a closet.
0: <gasps> Very cool. Yeah so I'm assuming you like to read horror literature often? Yeah
1: yeah I mean I've So I'm also a a staff writer at Morbidly Beautiful doing monthly reviews and like reading has always just been like the main focus and then recently I got into movies and horror movies especially so it's always just been there in one form or another.
0: Oh very cool um so why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre?
1: Uh, I think it's just a nice outlet you know um you you kind of have those friends, like that, those friends group and the slashers, and they seem compatible with each other. There's always like a wide variety of people. Why can't that happen in real life? And, you know, you just kind of feel connected with a lot of them when, and you go through the stuff they go through, especially if you've gone through some like traumas in your life. It's just so much easier to like connect with them. It's like, oh, okay, I feel for these people. I want them to make it. It's a real empathy thing, I think.
0: I think everyone could use a class in empathy, especially nowadays.
1: Oh, definitely. The
0: internet. So.
1: <laughs>
0: Do you have any favorite horror directors?
1: Um, so Cronenberg has always been kind of my go-to, for, especially for The Fly. <laughs> and then David Lynch has made some pretty crazy stuff that's like kind of horror. I've yet to really dive into Head, but it's on my list. Ari Aster and um Roger Eggers are my current top two right now.
0: Nice so you're a fan of Hereditary and Midsommar and The Witch.
1: Yeah Midsommar really broke me as a person (laughs) and I just I I love it. Um, I know some people that say they don't care for it but I really dove into that one and then The Lighthouse was the last movie I saw in theaters. Uh, so that one holds a special place in my heart because just of how beautiful the whole thing looked on the screen.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that was beautiful on screen. I had to see it on demand uh, during lockdown uh, at one point. So, but they are I mean, definitely they're definitely slow burns. He's good at he's good at yes.
1: Me. If it makes it any better, I had the most the worst experience in the theater watching it, but the movie still managed to shine above it. So,
0: can you tell me about that terrible experience in the theater?
1: Um, it was empty, like legit. I was just me and another woman. And she had told me that her husband was going to join her, but he hates artsy films. So he went to go see something else. And so we each got our perfect spots. I was dead center, beautiful seats. And this guy w- with his friend came in and sat right next to me with the strongest smelling cologne. And throughout the entire film, he was just complaining about the movie. Why are they going so slow? Why do they keep showing this? And then at one point he fell asleep and he was snoring. And when he woke up, he was like, no, no, this makes sense. I don't like I don't get any of this. Like, dude. And had I not gotten so comfortable, I would have moved seats. But like I was just stubborn. I am gonna stick through this. I'm gonna watch it in the perfect seat and no one's gonna change that. And I still love the movie. I still, adore. I, I, I'll rewatch it every once in a while.
0: That's cool, that, that's great that you were still able to enjoy the movie, even though there was an annoying person right next to you. And
1: I don't even do theaters that often, but like I wanted to see it, cause I missed out on The Witch. So I wanted to see what like, what this movie would look like on a good screen.
0: Yeah, did you see Midsommar in theaters?
1: No, I don't really do um, theaters that often. Um, for me, the movies horror movies I, I like to do in groups. Okay. So, um, like, if I don't have anyone to go with, I just like don't even bother. But that Lighthouse was an exception, and that's probably the only recent film I've seen other than Halloween.
0: So you have a collection of stories called When Angels Fail, being published in December. There are stories yes. called Knee High in the River Sticks, Dead and Loving It, and Winter Woes. So they seem pretty dark. Would that be an yeah. accurate assessment? <laughs>
1: Um, it's, it's a, they it, it come from a very emotional place. Um, I was definitely working through a lot of things as I wrote them.
0: How, how did you go about writing this and what inspired it?
1: Um, so I was in a very abusive relation, it, it, similar to Danny's situation in Midsummer. I was in a very toxic gaslighting relationship. And towards the end of it, I had kind of, um, made myself an island. And I was just all alone, and I had no, I had nothing to really, no one to go to, turn to, or anything like that. I had kind of isolated myself, and I, I was re- realizing it. And I was very bitter. I was very angry. I was bordering on inceldom, and I'm not proud of it. But you know, I worked through some things. And so, for I think six, seven months after that breakup, I wrote the bulk of those stories, especially the darker ones. And I think it shows just how bitter and angry. I got, and towards the end, I because I had joined the community on on Instagram, and they helped me reconnect with people and kind of talk openly about my experiences, and so there was a very um, nice catharsis coming out. And towards the end of it, you know, I just kind of came away with like, okay, I eyes opened, and hopefully, like you know, there's that light, very dim light at the end of the tunnel. Um, for this at the end of this the last story
0: so it's very dark but then you know it's a little yeah. bit at the end
1: Ho- hopefully hopefully i mean if i did my job right it'll come out that way
0: what else do you want to tell people about about the stories
1: um they do center on stuff like depression and self-loathing and you know of course like um, abusive relationships so like you know if, if you do feel a bit um hesitant you know kind of i want to make it um, known that you know it, it's going to deal with some hard things you know i I'm, I'm always open to talking about it i don't i don't want people to just read it drop it i want like i wouldn't mind making this a conversation about stuff because i don't i don't know if you saw recently but in our facebook um, group there was some talk about the midsummer movie and there was a guy that just couldn't understand why it was bad and i think there's some people that don't understand it until it happens to them especially men You know, there was talk about how, um, what's the fine line between this guy just being another dude and him being a villain. And, um, you know, having been in that situation, I, you know, it's easier for me to, to talk about, oh yeah, he's definitely a bad dude. And I, I think I want to be able to express that to other people that might not understand it, especially other men who don't understand that. These things can happen to everyone and anyone. Doesn't matter genders or what roles, who's playing what. It is a very dangerous tightrope to walk, and we have to be able to talk about it and acknowledge it to keep it from happening again and hurting more people.
0: Well, it sounds like your book is going to be a great help to people. I hope everyone that needs to read it does, um, especially men, because I think you're right that men are often not talk how to talk about their feelings. So they keep things hold up a lot more.
1: Um, And yeah, and and I've been guilty of it too. You know, I've done some bad things in my life. I'll admit, I, I, you know, I was on the verge of being an incel. I had a best friend that would whisper a lot of that stuff in my ear. And, you know, while I was an angsty teen, you know, it makes sense. You know, you're pushing people away and especially these people that you might like or whatever. And it's your own doing, but you're not going to blame yourself. You're going to blame them. So they become the bad guys. And you know, when I was in this relationship, I did cheat. It was um it was a a circle of abuse. She cheats on me, I cheats on her, she hurts me, I hurt her. And we became this really bad cycle that one of us needed to put a stop to it. And she did. I resented it, but at, at the end of the day, it's like we were horrible. Like we need, this needed to be ended. And there was no true bad guy because we were both in it but we were both bad guys and you know I think people need to realize that like these things do happen they affect anyone you don't have to be a man or a woman for it to affect you it's it's that um patriarchy bullshit that ends up taking over and you know and that's kind of why I gravitated to the horror version because I grew up with uh, alongside with one of the hosts you know, it was kind of a similar situation as him and I grew with him and it's, you, you feel that catharsis coming from horror and meeting other, these other people and just kind of like it clicking in your head. It's like, oh, we don't have to be this way. We can learn, we can change, we can become better.
0: So on a lighter topic, kind of, um, there was an article that came out in July that said that horror fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror fans. Why do you think this is?
1: Um, we're kind of cynical sometimes. Like, I, I think it's easier to to just make those jokes. Like, oh, the world's gonna end. When, you know, when, when the whole Mayan calendar thing was going down, we were the ones making those jokes that like, oh, well, you know, we were, we were ready for it. Zombie apocalypse come um oh, hello high water or whatever. Like we're just kinda more emotionally prepared to to, you know, accept it. I think. Or at least I was. I d I don't know. I still make those jokes.
0: Uh, how has lockdown been in Texas?
1: Um, there's a lot of a lot of stupid people, but I think that's all over the place. My life hasn't changed much. Um my whole sense of time has been warped before COVID happened because of the breakup. And I was just kinda in a daze. I wake up, I go for a run, um I go to work, I come home, I sleep and that's been the whole thing and since I work in the back nothing's really changed for me. I I still do the same thing. I've not had to really other than wearing a mask. I don't nothing's affected me. So I get I got kind of lucky in that and it's still just a regular day in day out kind of cycle for me. Well so, that's
0: that's good and I'm glad you're wearing a mask.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've seen people that aren't or don't want to and you know, I just kind of, I'll, I'll walk the other direction because I don't want none of that. Yeah. That in my life. <laughs>
0: totally. What's your favorite pandemic movie?
1: Oh, um, so I was, I'm doing a article, hopefully, on The Night of the Living Dead. Mm. And I've really come to appreciate Savini's remake, you know, for all its flaws know, there's just something about being locked in the house with people that you don't really care for and don't care for you that you just really appreciate like you're with your family and you know you've got your friends that like that are smart. (laughs) So I've really I consider that one a pandemic movie, you know, zombies are
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think probably I think I heard at the beginning of this that there were people who were in lockdown together that like did not like each other or they would break up in the middle of it. So a lot of people can probably relate to that
1: and and i can just imagine you know it's like i was thinking like what if we didn't bre- me and my ex didn't break up before covid you know like how 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 far to the end of that spectrum would life have really shifted and and gone worse
0: yeah like i'm
1: lucky right now i'm staying with my grandparents and my aunt and my cousins so you know we pick on each other but you know it's we're we're happy we're not going nuts or anything
0: yeah, it's not toxic. Exactly. Is this your first uh, collection of stories that you're publishing?
1: When I was 21, I did another collection. My sister did the photo cover, and I had some friends help edit it. And as it stands, I I don't really I've distanced myself away from it only because I published it when I was 21, and I wrote them when I was 17. <laughs> and when I was 17, I was at my most angsty, angry, I'm too good for this small town train of thought. So I consider it my first child and being a first child myself, I see it as I didn't know what I was doing. I'm just going to like let it run free, but this one's going to be the better one. This (laughs) one, this is the one where I bought it. I paid for an editor. I had um, friends make art for promos. I've got the logo. I have a friend who in blood rights um, press, who has helped me format it so i've gone through all the steps it's perfectly edited everything so hopefully this one comes out better than that past <laughs> past one
0: that's awesome yeah i don't think a lot of us are proud of things that we did or wrote when we were 17 so that's completely understandable
1: <laughs> it's it's difficult to look back on yeah
0: yeah <laughs> well, yeah, well, you're. everyone's kind of angsty
1: when they're 17. It, he, and I had, because I, I fell in love with Clive Barker as a director and as a writer around that time, that age. So for me, it was all, I didn't understand the nuances. So I just saw Clive Barker and it was like, oh, sex and blood. I didn't, it didn't compute in my head the things that like I was writing or the undertones within that writing. And now hopefully I have a better grasp on it, <laughs> maybe. Um, we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you have a Clive Barker quote um, on the third page of your book before the story yes. Yeah, so. And Fred um, Kahlo.
1: So, so I, I started with, with those quotes, and then at the end, I also have some, uh, like, I ended, our pre- like, book ended with some other quotes that are hopefully people can see that I'm not the same person that I started <laughs> when I ended up being not the same person as when I started.
0: Yeah, you have uh, Stephen King and uh, Guillermo del Toro. What's your favorite Stephen King novel?
1: Desperation. Well, tie. It's tied. In a horror sense, it's Desperation, but in like his regular stuff, it's um Hearts and Atlantis. And you know, I do love the miniseries as well. For Desperation, like Ron Perlman makes a good bad um bad guy tack in there. And I know a lot of people shit on it, but it is a good, it's a good miniseries. Decent, not great, <laughs> but I have fond memories, and I don't. Know if it's kind of like the Langley years where you remember it fondly, then you rewatch it. So <laughs> if I ever find it, I'm not gonna put it on. I'm just gonna keep it and say it's good, just right. so I don't ruin those memories.
0: What is your favorite Stephen King um, movie adaptation?
1: Ooh, I kind of liked 1922 a lot, and Gerald's Game. Flanagan it, it really impresses me. It's a tie between those two because they came out around the same time, and I did binge watch like one after the other.
0: Oh, okay, cool. I, ha- I will have to check out 1922, because I haven't seen that one, but I have seen Gerald's Game, and it is excellent.
1: Well, I will say I have not read the, the stories from either of those two, so it could just be completely, uh, like, bad and out of the way, but I, like, from the books, but I still love the movies.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I've heard, I've heard people who I believe have read, have read Gerald's Game, that it is a great adaptation, so.
1: And I like the ending. I don't know what people's gripe on the ending is, but I thought it was pretty good
0: yeah it's been it's been a while since I watched it. Can you remind me what the ending is? I know she gets out. I know she has to break her wrist and her hand
1: yeah that's yeah i don't I didn't like that part um,
0: <laughs> yeah that was that was hard to watch.
1: um, I think she ends up confronting him at the um the the tall guy. She gets into confronting him at the courthouse and then walks away, but I kind of like that. It was a nice sense of closure you know that she wasn't afraid anymore
0: yeah i don't yeah i don't know why people would have had a problem with that
1: I, I think it gets chalked up to stephen King endings
0: so what movie are you most upset that has been postponed because of Covid this year
1: candyman yeah. I was because re- again Clive Barker and just the fact that like they were going to expand on it. Like, rather than it be a reboot, they are going to expand on it. I was really excited for it.
0: Yeah, I definitely was too, especially after that teaser trailer that came out with the puppet.
1: Yeah, I love that. I'd I'd watch a sequel just kind of based around that as well, you know, <laughs> um, a short film or something.
0: Yeah, Tim Burton could do it, and then Danny Elfman could write the score for it.
1: I, I'd, I'd throw my hat at Guillermo the Toro. Like, I would really love to see what he can do with some puppets.
0: So do you hold any unpopular horror movie opinions or, or are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like?
1: So I, so there, I think I have something for both because um, I recently read the book Dr. Sleep and I wept like a baby. I saw and directed like 10 minutes after I finished the book, I went and saw the director's cut of Mike Flanagan's and I did not like it. My, I know Mike Flanagan is a wonderful director. I love his work. Something did not sit a lot of the changes did not sit right with me that I felt were unnecessary. And as far as for the other one, I don't know what, what kind of opinion people have on it, but Exorcist 3 gets severely overlooked. And I love it. I, I love Brad Dourif going ham in those little strait jacket scenes that he's got going on.
0: I haven't seen it, but what is the plot for that movie?
1: There is a murderer going around and it focuses on. The priest and the cop of the first movie. And the cop, the, the cop is played by George C. Clarke, maybe? It's played by him, and he does an excellent job of trying to hunt down this serial killer that they had already captured and electrocuted, but now he's back. Yeah. And now there's a mystery man in this hospital. So it, it kind of revolves around that. And it it's great. Like, no matter what version you watch, the director's cut or the studio cut, they're both great to me.
0: Okay, I'll have to put it on my list. Is it streaming anywhere?
1: Shudder, I think it is. Oh, okay. At least it. it was the last time I watched it because I do that one quite often. It's a comfort movie.
0: Oh, so that's that's your comfort horror.
1: Yeah, I, there's something about I think his name is George C. Clark, the guy from Changeling. There's something about his acting that's just that's really nice to me because I I put the Changeling on as well just just so I could watch him kind of like. Cry and not cry, and just I don't know. And then you got Brad Dourif in the in the movie too, and that's always fun.
0: How do you decide what you want to watch when you're looking for something to watch?
1: Um, my sister tells me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is she the um, big horror fan in the family?
1: We both kind of are. Um, a lot of my memories from horror aren't in theaters, but they're like me, my mom, and sister will sit down on the, uh, would sit down on the couch. And we would just watch whatever horror movie we ended up picking. Mm-hmm. And hers have a tendency to be a bit more hyper crazy and mine are the slow burns. So she would have the more popular pick than me, um, according to my mom. Mm-hmm. And that would just be the way we would all entertain ourselves. So my sister will tell me, watch this, watch that. And sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Like she recently told me to watch Terrifier or whatever the clown one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... No, I I had already seen it, and I will not I will not go through that one again.
0: It's it's traumatic.
1: I do not like that movie. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to put it. Um, maybe that one goes down as a different um, horror opinion, but I just I don't like Art the Clown. I don't. It's it. It does not sit well with me whatsoever.
0: Are you adverse to clowns in general?
1: Yes. Um. <laughs> although I do have a massive crush on Tim Curry, so okay. I don't. So it's <laughs> conflicted feelings there. Well, same, same with the guy that played it, it, the new Pennywise. They're both beautiful men, but I hate clowns. <laughs> and then you put a murdering clown in a very, I don't like Saw-like movies.
0: Yeah, me neither.
1: So that just, I don't know. I was not happy throughout my watch of that. <laughs> of either one, because I saw both.
0: Well, um, well, definitely skip the movie Haunt on Shutter because it's more clowns.
1: Uh, and you know what, it keeps popping up and I just keep kind of scrolling down.
0: Yeah, it's, they're very freaky looking clowns, so, and i uh, in a broken down side of the road haunted house.
1: It's a good <laughs> movie,
0: I liked it, but it's just not for people who don't like clowns.
1: Well, I was kind of um, thrown into one, I don't know if you've seen it, Hell House LLC?
0: Yes, I love that one.
1: <laughs> I loved it too. I, I think the only parts I ever jumped at were the clown parts. <laughs> Everything else was like really great. And then when the clown came on, I was like, nope, I'm closing my eyes.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, the clowns were definitely creepy, and I would not have stayed in that house. Oh,
1: I'd be gone first night. Like, oh, I'll yeah. A hotel.
0: So if you could remake or reimagine one horror movie, which one would it be?
1: Ooh. So only because I grew up with it and I watch it every single Halloween. Abba and Costello meet Frankenstein. I don't know how I'd do it. But I would love to see more movies that are just fun and family-friendly, quirky like that one was. You know, it's got the wordplay, it's got the silly, it's kind of not as Extreme Three Stooges stuff going on, but you know, you got Bella Lugosi's Dracula, you got Lon Chaney Jr.'s Wolfman. I forgot who was Frankenstein because it wasn't um, the original guy. I don't know, it just has all my, the, the right things for, for me to want to enjoy.
0: Are you, do you love um, horror comedies often?
1: Yeah, I think I'll watch those more often than like it's either one or the like other like where I'll go really emotionally draining films or just really nice slapstick Shaun of the Dead kind of fun or any of the Night of the Living Dead sequels. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, in the, my deepest throes of sadness, I did three movies back to back. Annihilation, Melancholia and Hereditary. And that was the worst decision of my life. <laughs> but for some reason, I because I, I went in blind on all three. Someone just said, had given me a list of movies that were really great. I, I chose those three at random. My cousin was in the bed next to me. And I'm over here trying to like stifle my because it just woke up stuff in me. I was like, oh, I should not be watching any of these. And I, the next day I had to go to work.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, Hereditary is amazing. I love that movie.
1: It is. Tony Collette, her screaming cries from the, like, that scene right after the car, like, yeah. I had goosebumps. And, like, I think I had just, so with my ex, she had a, a little girl. So I had to come out of being a stepfather. So, like, that was still with me. I was just, like, kind of oh. hyperventilating with her. And that was so horrible. <laughs> oh,
0: wow.
1: I, I will never rewatch it, but it's a beautiful movie. movie. I won't go back to it, though, ever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched it twice during quarantine. So
1: was it the same every, every time or?
0: Um, well, I had not seen Hereditary since I saw it first in theaters um, before, I think, March this year when I rewatched it. So I've, it surprised me all over again. Um, and oh. then the, the, th- the second rewatch, I just wanted my boyfriend to see it. So <laughs> I was like, you have to watch this. And then after I was like, did you like it? He was like, absolutely not. I was tense the entire time.
1: I mean, that's a fair enough review. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of the point of horror, though. You want to get those people in the chair with you. It's it's fun to, like, have someone, you know, the parts you jump that you want to be looking at them, seeing how they react, kind of like, are they getting the same enjoyment or scares out of it as you did?
0: Yeah, definitely. So my last question is, if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be?
1: I always make the joke that, like, I've always been too white to be considered Mexican. But the moment that I'm in a horror movie, I'll just be brown enough to die first. So I, I think whoever I pick, you know, I'm screwed either which way. I would probably go with uh, Frankenstein, or O.G. Frankenstein. I, I love, I love that guy. How come? Or Pacino's. I just really love the the story of Frankenstein. So like he's always been on the, on the like the look for acceptance and answers, and you know there's just something about him that's like so endearing, if not for his like really clumsy strength to hurt people by accident.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on the internet and where they can purchase when angels fall in December? When um, When angels fail?
1: (laughs) I get it wrong too. And it's my book. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So um, I have a whole platform on Instagram. You can find me at Michael. Um, I also st- I'm a staff writer at Morbidly Beautiful, so I I do a monthly articles for book review indie book reviews. Um, I mean, you go to Instagram, you'll ha- you'll find my link tree. You can go to Amazon. Um, it's for pre-order right now for December fifteenth. Um, for the Kindle only. As soon as de- December fifteenth hits, it'll be available as a paperback as well. And I'm on Goodreads as well. Um, just Michael Benavides. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of everywhere. I have a small presence. <laughs> I like I like that way. I like it being nice, nice and close knit.
0: That's awesome. Well, hopefully it gets a little bigger when your book comes out. Cause I think hopefully it will help a lot of people.
1: I, I hope so. I, I, I genuinely hope so. I'm not really looking so much as the price, but as to talking to more people and opening up about it.
0: Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'll see you around uh, in the horror virgin community.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Benavides, and thanks again to Michael for coming on. You can find links to his socials in the show notes as well as a link to purchase his book, When Angels Fail. As a heads up, we'll be taking next week off, but we'll be back on January 7th with a brand new episode. So keep an eye out as to who that interview might be with. As always, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. And thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. We really appreciate it as it really helps people find us. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's there Pod. We're on Instagram at Who's there Podcast. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at there pod at gmail.com. I hope everyone who's listening and celebrates Christmas has an amazing holiday filled with lots of Christmas horror movies. If you need any suggestions as to what to watch and where to watch them, check out our recent posts on Instagram. Until next time, stay scary and wear a mask.